with you over there, like vibing to the theme. I like that. Yeah, the theme's grown on me. Hello, hello, hello. It's very Hollywood. <laughs> this is Goody Reboot. I'm Pedro. And I'm Meredith. Welcome to the show. Today are we are going to be discussing Blair Witch and its 2016 requel reboot. Yeah. Blair Witch. Is it the Blair Witch or just Blair Witch? I, I think it's just Blair, it's Blair Witch. Blair Witch. It's just Blair Witch. Yeah. So, but for, it's the Blair Witch Project. So, for future reference for our listeners to avoid confusion for the rest <laughs> of the episode, just like this is literally how I start. <laughs> I started the week this way, right? I looked at you and said, "Listen, we're not going to confuse these two movies. We're doing this." If I refer to the film as the Blair Witch Project or the Project, I'm referring to the Blair Witch Project from '99. Okay. And if I'm talking about Blair Witch. The shorter version, I'm talking about the 2016 film. So that that is the way we'll sort of do it here. You'll see me refer to it as the project a lot, just to keep it sort of shorter, but also to, to separate these two movies that have the same title, except a yeah. couple of words. So that just makes it confusing. It's very easy to call Blair Witch the Blair Witch as you start a sentence and it sounds real similar. So just wanted to make that clear as we get this going. Meredith, as I always ask, what is your first exposure to the Blair Witch Project? I watched this with an ex-boyfriend when I was like, I, I rented it. I know that. And yeah. it was Wayne that I watched it with. So yeah, that's about it. That's about it. Yeah. So I was immensely excited for this movie because I was one of those people that was caught up in the internet fervor. About yeah. Every, everybody our age was. Yeah. It, it really, it really was. And I, I know it seems if you're coming into this and obviously you know a little bit about the movie and, but if you're coming in cold, like that is what made this movie the massive hit that it was is not only was it a well-done horror movie that was something different, but the marketing behind this was different than anything that ever existed. I, I can't stress to you how much people believed that this movie was real. It was an actual documentary and this was these people's like last will and testament. Yeah. Like, people really did believe that. It was a legitimate thing. The Sci-Fi Channel did an in-Kayfabe documentary. If you're not a wrestling fan, Kayfabe is, like, in storyline. So the, the documentary on the Sci-Fi Channel portrayed Blair Witch as a real thing. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people just really went off from there. And let me stress, in 1999, the internet is not what it is today. Like, it's not this fountain of resources like you could find today and fact-check anything. That just wasn't really possible as the movie's official website was pushing this as a real documentary. So there was a lot of confusion and it really led to the movement behind this film. Yeah. And, and the other part of it was simply the strong reviews. I mean, this movie killed at Sundance. I mean, there were like riots Man afterwards. Can. Yeah, afterwards for the bidding rights to get yeah. this movie. It was a huge, huge deal. It was the first like huge independent movie that people had to get since like Pulp Fiction. The film cost $60,000 to make and made $248 million. It's in the Guinness Book of World Records for having the top budget box office profit ratio. Yeah. So it had a ratio of $1 spent for every $10,931 made. That is fucking insane. It really is. It's wild if you think about it. And if you're, if you're ever curious, and I know at, the, at that year's Oscars, Chris Rock had a joke. Where he said like sixty thousand dollars. That's a ten thousand dollar movie at best, and I, I remember that because you could easily think that for this movie. But I just want to put into in perspective like that means they actually probably paid most of the people that worked for them. Yeah, and they uh, that's how much uh, producing uh, 
uh, pardon me, processing film cost back in those sorts of days. So even just shooting a little bit of 16 millimeter, you're going to spend 30 grand, you know, 10 grand, at least somewhere in that range, like trying to process the films, you could even edit it. Mm -hmm. So like that stuff just kind of added up, even though the movie looks like it was like $10 in their backyard. Yeah. But that's the beauty of it. It really is. No. And, I mean, and it's 1999. Yeah. So people still had those old clunky cameras roaming around. Yeah, exactly. They, they really did. I mean, if you were in 1999, there's a lot of people who still had shot family home movies on eight millimeter. Yeah. So they had the feeling of both of these, you know, probably having to work from format to format, starting with like eight millimeter videos, you transferred to VHS and stuff. So the, the feel of this movie was a little bit more natural then than it might be now going from a video look to 16 millimeter film. Yeah. Cause she's just a student filmmaker. Yeah. I mean, she's just starting out, so she's not going to have the top of the line. I mean, remember when you started out? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's just what you're going to use. Like he's barely used that camera. Yeah. We're already talking about the movie. Let, let's, let's make it official. Let's make it official with probably the smallest cast that we will ever have on this show. Joshua Leonard as Josh, Michael Williams as Mike and Heather Donahue as Heath, I mean, Heather, huh. uh, <laughs> Daniel American, Eduardo Sanchez, the Blair Witch Project in the year of 1999. Yeah, it's pretty great. This is my home, which I am leaving the comforts of for the weekend to explore the Blair Witch. I can see you. I'm real excited about this. Thank you for I'm the opportunity. I'm very glad. This area's been haunted. By that old woman. Oh, yeah. I don't know why you have to have every conversation on video. Because we're making a documentary. Not about us. So as I talk about how excited I was for the movie, when it finally, I finally had a chance to go see the film. I know we're not lost. I went with uh, my dad, and I dragged him to this movie because I needed a ride. <laughs> and I can only imagine what your dad must have felt. He enjoyed the movie. Did he? he did, yeah. I know he liked the movie. He did. He like he liked the movie because he he liked it for the same reason that I truly love the movie, is that it's a really good interpretation of what it's like to get lost in the woods. Yeah, yeah. And I think my dad had been lost in the woods before, so I think he identified with these guys. Like, yeah, yeah, you don't take it seriously, and all of a sudden you turn around, and you're like, wait, didn't wait? We've been here before already, you know. Like, it's it, I can't stress if you've never been out camping before, it is very easy to get lost because. Yeah. It's not, it's not like a movie or a video game. There's no way marker or anything like that. There's nothing for you to kind of identify as where you need to go, especially if you realize you're not paying attention. And folks, if you're camping in the desert, just because there's no woods doesn't mean it's not dangerous because you can freaking freeze at night. Yeah, you absolutely can. You need freaking blankets. Yeah, it's amazing how many people go camping with no preparation really at all. Yeah. And put themselves in incredibly dangerous situations. But that's not necessarily what, what happens here <laughs> in the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> They don't, they, they, it's this not is not a PSA. No, for no this is not, this is not infotainment. All right. We're trying to, <laughs> you know, what? let's just talk about camping safety for the rest of the 40 minutes. Okay. How do we start? So we start with our main characters filming each other as this is a found footage movie, obviously. And I think it's the first of its kind there. I, I, there's probably not, at least there's, it's the first of its kind to be successful. Yes and no. Uh, there are other found footage movies before. The, the one we're talking about is Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. I've seen Cannibal Holocaust. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. And yes, th this is the same idea. <laughs> I truly believe Eduardo Sanchez when he says he had never seen Cannibal Holocaust because it was the 90s. Like, you, once again, the internet wasn't what it was. You weren't just going to be able to go and get a movie like that. You're going to have to find it somewhere. And it was banned in a lot of places. And 
you know, didn't have the highest esteem. So, you know, unless he was going to seek it out, he might not have ever known it ever existed. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like I said, it, it wasn't the craziest thing. Other found footage stuff had been done before. But you're right. This is the first one to become a mega hit. Yeah. And to establish the genre. They basically go around asking about the Blair Witch. All three characters seem to be getting along great. So that's good. There's some good chemistry there. We get some cemetery shots. There's more interviews with the townsfolk. I, I, I like the lady with the kid trying to get it get her kid to be quiet while she's talking yeah it's very like, real no yeah. no push in the face yeah all these little segments are good i think one of my favorite aspects of it is like people are trying to get into stories and like heather keeps cutting them off yeah <laughs> it's like my favorite little thing because she should eat what she does because she's just starting out she doesn't understand to like let people talk and to let stories build and to ask them questions at the end or when you know when they've reached a point or when they're not clear about something, she just kind of just butts in whenever. I, I love that little element of it. You know, and it, it's it's no acting. You know, she was a novice. She was an actor. She wasn't a, a documentarian. Mm -hmm. So she struggled in that part. And it, and it shows. And it once again, it it leads to what really gives this movie th that feel. It's authentic. Yeah, it's how authentic this movie is. Like we talked about a bit with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This movie is probably the most authentic movie really ever, ever made. You know, if you really think about there's only a few cringy line readings that probably were just had to get read. But, you know, for the most part, the, the acting in this movie is so strong and authentic. There's really nothing like it. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it truly impressive. Even today, I, I do wonder how it holds up with newer audiences. But like I said, there there is such such a rawness to this and a realness to the movie. They talk to Mary Brown. Oh, you know, before we, before we move on, I want to talk about one thing. The lady with the baby. Do you know they never found her? To give her her residuals. Really? Yeah. They, they never, ever found her. They Yeah, because she was a part of the movie. She was owed some money. They could never, ever track her down. Ever. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, that story might be old. Some internet sleuth might have finally found her or whatever. But I remember that like five or six years ago, reading that when the newer movie, the one we're going to cover, was going to come out. They said that. And I was like, wow, what a weird fact. But, you know, just somebody showed up on the day, passing through town, never thought about it again. Maybe they don't like movies. You know, that guy I was telling you about? Mm -hmm. Maybe that's what it is. They never, ever watched The Blair Witch and realized it. They talked to Mary Brown, who tells a creepy story about The Blair Witch. That's the old lady. Yeah. Yeah. And fur on the arms. And then they spend the night in the hotel. They do a little drinking. They Some camaraderie happens. Yeah, I, I think they, they got they a nice- show their chemistry. Yeah, yeah. Everybody got along pretty well. They had a nice shoot. They got good footage, you know, so you can certainly put together something of what, what they had. It's not great, but that's what a student documentary is. You know, you're you're not really uncovering great mysteries here, but you're just trying to be able to tell a narrative. And it seems like they're really on their way, and they are getting along. They're having some drinks together, you know, and that, that's what it's like, you know. Um, coming from that sort of world, at that level, you're always excited to kind of do any work. Mm -hmm. You know, unless you've been working a lot, then maybe you're less enthused, but for the most part... You know, they, they capture that pretty well. Mm -hmm. You'd be happy from a good day of shooting, even if you had worked your ass off. Then they interview two guys fishing. Yes. And they tell a story. And what is that story, Pedro? Now, they give us the um, their version of Coffin Rock, right? Yeah, Coffin Rock. That happened before. that's where, where they're headed. Where Heather, t yeah, because Heather's going to talk about it just in a minute, right? She's going to give her, like, narration of it. And I love their interpretation of the story and them talking back and forth about what it really was and doing that. Cause that's how people talk. Once again, mm -hmm. the movie, it feels like a documentary at that point. If you didn't know you would, you would think it was, Yeah, you can understand that logic as you watch this movie and no other movie will ever do this again, this genre. But you know, from this, they move on and 
she does her prepared segment where they talk about Coffin Rock, right? Yeah. And I, I love this scene for two reasons. Is one, years ago, I listened to the commentary track and where they shot that, the complete opposite direction was the sun beautifully setting in the sky with nothing behind them. And they chose to shoot in front of a bunch of dirt. But that's what happens when you give actors a camera and tell them to frame a shot. Yeah. Like they apparently like they had to restrain the uh, one of the other directors because he wandered around there and go, no, film the other way, idiots. <laughs> but yeah, just a fun little fact about that that scene that I, I know offhand. But once again, it, it leads to the feel of, of amateurs making a movie. Yeah. So they're on their way to Coffin Rock and they end up going on a shortcut. Yeah. Well, we know how shortcuts go. Yeah, we really do. Yeah. Uh, they film a dead mouse. The work of witchcraft. I always like that little joke. Yeah. They killed it in a theater in 1999. It still kills today. You think so? Yeah, no, that that that, that joke cut the tension in the theater. Hmm. They get into their first fight. What do you think the fight's about? Let's see. They're not arguing about the map just yet. <laughs> do you think it's the conditions of the shoot? Yeah, because that's got to be the number one issue that the, you're going to have. And that's a realistic thing for, for anybody on a crew to actually argue about. Is like how things are or aren't going. And, you know, Heather probably thinks she knows better than what she really does. Yeah. And she certainly is giving off that She's supposed to be the leader. Yeah. Actually, they were going to cast three guys. But she was so good in her audition that they cast her and made her the lead. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Because I know one little factoid is that at one point in the script when they did cast her, Josh and Heather had were exes. But they scrapped that from the shooting script, so it's never mentioned or talked about. But that's the only bit of extra lore that we don't really ever get to find out about, Mm -hmm. what their previous relationship sort of was beforehand. They all know each other pretty well, though. Yeah, well, it seems like Mike's a new guy. Like, Josh might know him, but, you know, Heather's just getting to know him, so. Yeah. At least least that's always the, the impression I always got from the movie. They crack jokes in their cool moments of humanity and camaraderie. I I love, I just love that. Yeah, yeah. I really like everything about when they finally are heading out to the woods and, and we, we skipped over the, one of my favorite shots where they walk away from the car. Mm-hmm. And this, this weirdly becomes an iconic shot because you would see it repeated in, in all the movies. But you know, you, you walk away from the car and you, you don't realize that that's the last chance of safety they'll, they'll really ever have. And even then, like the first night is still a pretty solid, you know, march into the woods. You're always going to have some issues when you go and have a shoot like that. But the first night does end up going fairly well. Well, they do hear some things, a noise that sur- surrounds them. Yeah. But it's very low. Yeah. And quiet. And that's the thing. When you're camping, you're going to hear subtle. some strange noises. So yeah. it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility. Things aren't really strange for them that evening or anything like that. And Sometimes, as a viewer, you kind of feel that too. Yeah. It's like, maybe I didn't hear that. Exactly. And the, the movie does carry that off pretty nicely. And then Mike... He starts freaking out about the map the next day. Yeah, yeah. So they get up the next day. They uh, He just freaks out about the map. And, you know, they're talking about getting lost and missing work and stuff like that. Yeah, because this is the first time they're actually starting to feel some of what I guess could be the effects of the Blair Witch. Is you, they're unable to find their way yeah. out of there easily. And just like any sort of film shoot, you're probably renting some equipment. So the audio gear has to be returned. The camera's got to be back. So they're already talking about that's possibly a lifeline for them as they're walking around the woods. And the tension is beginning to rise a little bit. You know, does Heather yeah. know where she's going with the map? Does, you know, that that's a tension that is rising. Does she still have the map? Yeah, exactly. You know, the, the map goes missing and this becomes another issue in the story. 
they actually uh, kind of starved them throughout the shoot. They started off with a lot of food and then they ate less and less food as the shoot went along. Yeah. To kind of haggard them a little bit, I think, to match the shoot. And you know what? I, that really pays off because, like I said, these guys give really good performances, yeah. and you know, and you, you can see that. Yeah, they're tired. They're, they're of tired, and they're hungry. Yeah, and that you know, it shows off in in what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, you can try acting, and there's probably a bit of that there. They weren't starved, but you know, everything you know really helps with an actor trying to find that place, and everybody in the in the cast really does. Yeah, and then it's the second night they're there, and then they start hearing weird noises. They start noticing those noises. Yeah, things become a little bit more pronounced. Like mm-hmm. you could say like something was an animal in the night before or something else was, you know, maybe, you know, an animal, the wind. But it, by night two, things sound a little bit more creepy. Yeah, and I, I like there's a shot where Heather turns off the camera and there's nothing but it's just the noise around them. Yeah. And you can kind of hear what they're hearing. Yeah. And you, your your imagination is running as wild as theirs is. It's not a sound from the woods. Mm-mm. Is what it, it's not. It can't be mistaken for an animal anymore. It is something that it, that is unsettling when you hear it. You know, because you realize, you know, when you're out in those woods, you have no protection at all. You do have a thin sheet of that tent is all that is your protection from the outside world. So. Yeah. And then they wake up the next day, and there are piles of rocks in between their campsites. And this is when things start to escalate. Yeah. Th- then they're scared. Yeah. You can tell that they're scared. Like, who once- did this? Yeah. Somebody is clearly fucking with them or it's something else. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to talk about the something else thing yet. They're saying something else. Somebody's messing with us. We need to get the hell out of here. I mean, which is 100% true if, that, if yeah. that's the case. If you ran into that problem, that, that's what you would want to do. And, and, you know, this movie for being shot the way it is, for, for being structured as it is, the tension is slowly rising, slowly rising. You know, we, we have something that's escalated here. And then we have the faded map issue. Yeah. Did you take it? That's 35 minutes in. The map is lost. Yeah. So when, once we lose the map, we, we have a pretty big confrontation here. Yeah. Between everybody and the cat. Everybody is pissed off about this map issue. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it really changes them. And this is exactly what would happen if you were out lost in the woods. You would go for each other's throats on any mistake. The guys start laughing and Heather thinks that they have the map because they're laughing. Yeah. And then Mike's laughing a little harder than everybody else because he actually kicked the map into a stream. Yeah. So like Josh was just blown off some steam by laugh because he assumed that Heather had lost the map. He completely loses his shit on Mike. Like he's shoving him and everything like that. Heather's screaming at him once he confesses that he kicked the map into the river because he doesn't fuck them because of the scenario, but it certainly doesn't help that he got rid of the only thing that could have possibly gotten them where they needed to go. Yeah. You know, because for all we know, and like I said, there, there may not be any Blair Witch at all in this movie, and they're just walking in circles because they don't have a map. Everything really escalates from there. They both attack and yell at, it, at, at him. They find a bunch of stick figures hanging in the trees. That's... That's so, not good. It continues to escalate. So myself in the, in the Blair Witch lore, the way I've always thought of it is like once you see the stick men, it's over. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, once you see the stickman, it's over. The Blair Witch has you. If they would have been able to find their way out earlier, I think they, they might have been able to escape the Blair Witch. But that that's obviously not, not what occurs. So once they find that, they're, they're in deep shit. I agree. Uh, Heather basically is going around continuing to film the stick figures. And she's pissing off her friends. 
Yeah, and that's an element that I like. No matter what, Heather is always going to film. Yeah. She's filming, filming, filming. For two reasons, it's a part of her character, and also we need a movie. So she continues to do that, and it really is. They're like, Heather, let's go! They have to tell her multiple times for her to drop it so they can get out of there and go and actually try to get out of the woods because the sun is setting. So they have a big problem. They agree to turn off all their gear, and they camp out one more night. But they turn the camera back on after somebody starts harassing them in their tent. Yeah, because they, they slept without a fire this time. Yeah. Yeah, the, everything they could to completely avoid it. Any kind of attention, still something found them. Yep. When when we finally have light returned to us via the camera, we can see there is actually something like manipulating the walls of the tent, right? Yeah, there there's like a bunch of hands yeah. just all over the tent. And they hear children's voices. Yeah. The creepy noises have returned with children and everything like that. And this causes hear a them, baby. Yeah, this causes them everybody to bolt. Yeah. They run run right out of the, the tent. Yes. Fun fact about that scene is at the 45 minute mark where Heather is screaming while running, what the fuck is that? She was responding to the sight of the art director, Richard Moreno, who as a prank was running alongside them clad in white stockings with white pantyhose pulled over his head. <laughs> so she actually saw something. Yeah, yeah, that's that good. she wasn't expecting. Yeah, no, that's what she wanted to do. You want to help an actor out at some yeah. point like that. You don't want to have to do it all via imagination. You want to have a nice, genuine reaction. And it feels that way. It really does. It feels like they're terrified when they run out of there. You know, and that's the thing. I mean, that's the only situation you're in where you run like that hard and that far at night where you don't know where you're going. I you're always, terrified. I always wanted to know what she saw. Yeah, yeah. This film drove me crazy for that fact. Yeah, and that's the way I felt in the you theater, too. You never get to see what she saw. Yeah. So you just, once you, again, your imagination. Yeah, I've always said this movie is an imagination test to some extent. Yeah. Like, if you really didn't dig it, then you you, you couldn't you couldn't think of something to fill those holes. Mm -hmm. You know, and, that, and that's the way, you know, it falls for you. That's unfortunate, but that's the way I've always looked at it. And I, I've always, like, the things that I think of in my head when I think about what the characters might have seen or what was behind Heather at the very end... Like, you know, you know, that's, that's the real scare. And that, that segment brings it also because of the great performance by Heather. So they, they run out of there and after a short time, they return when the sun is beginning to come up and they find their shit's been ransacked. Yeah. But it's mostly Josh's shit. Mostly Josh's. And then there's like a weird goo cover. Like a, yeah, slime. And it seems like they're going in circles. Yeah. Cause after this is when they get the heartbreaker, they come yeah. back to the same river that, they see the same stump. Yeah, they see the same stump that they had seen earlier in the day, and they did make note of it the, the day prior. So despite following the river, they did go in a gigantic circle. Yeah, Heather breaks down. Yeah. And she's filmed looking hopeless. Yeah, pretty much. It is... Um, and Josh attacks her with the camera. Yeah, I think this is a really powerful scene when he's coming in. What's your motivation? We're lost in the woods. No one's going to help us. It's almost a little much, but I mean, he's got a lot of frustration. He needs to get out at mm -hmm. this point because, you know, the, the realization setting in on them, they're going to die out there. Yeah. They're, they're going to need luck to not die. They're going to need someone to stumble upon them. They're going to need the Blair Witch to lose interest or if that's what you think happened out there. You know, they need something so they don't die of starvation or whatever out in those damn woods. So it, it's it's good to see that because that, I think that's how it would be. People would be fierce and ferocious with each other. Mm -hmm. You know, any decorum would be out the window when they think you know death is you know knocking at their door. So I, I like I like that scene a lot. You know, because even Mike is like, dude, chill. She said it's enough. 
You know, he, he keeps going until she completely breaks down. Yeah. Well, it's all coming to a head because they wake up in the morning and Josh is missing. Yeah, Josh is completely gone. And I love when Heather opens the tent. There's something right there. And she's just like, nope. She just tosses it she away. She tosses it He's away. like, fuck that. I don't care what it is. I don't want to see what's in there. She and, was actually not supposed to do that. Yeah, that's the same thing I was going yeah. to I remember this from the commentary track. <laughs> Is they uh, they had to break kayfabe for a second, like, hey, you, 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 need, you need to go, to go open look at that, that and film it. Yeah, it's a really big deal if you can. Please do that. So they, she had to, because she comes back to it for no reason at all and does it. But I mean, it, it doesn't, narratively, it doesn't bother me because what the fuck else is she going to do, right? Yeah, she's like, huh. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you believe that. Yeah, I, I, I do. I do. I, I, I don't really have a problem with it. And because of the lo fi nature of that, when she finally does open it up, it could be anything, right? Yeah. It could be like some some intestines. It could be his teeth. Uh, I heard somebody say it's his penis. You know. To me, it looks like teeth in a tongue. Yeah, yeah, I would say that. Like yeah. They, yeah. They cut his mouth out. Ugh. It could be anything, really, and and that's what sometimes that lo fi nature really works, and it does here. And the movie truly is like a, a lo fi masterpiece in that way. You know, they they spend the whole day trying to find him, and you know. It, Mike and Heather get much closer here because they're scared shitless together. Yeah, Mike breaks down. Yeah, they they really do. I mean, they they are they are one and two. I mean, they really are. They are leaning on each other for support. You know, because they're they're falling apart, and obviously they they don't find any luck. They can't get their way out, and they have to stay another night in the forest once more. And this is when we get the famous shot of Heather's nose. Yeah, she apologizes to everyone. Yeah, she does her last. Basically, the last will and testament. Yeah. Heather Donahue, the actress, thought she had a really great shot framed up. Her full face full face, and a flattering angle. It was going to be something that's really iconic. And she was horrified on the first screen to realize she pointed the camera directly up her nose yeah. for almost the entirety of the shot. But the poor nature of the framing is what gives the shot this otherworldly nature. Yeah. And makes she's it seem so authentic disoriented. again. Disoriented. Yeah. Yeah. Like the framing doesn't matter. She just has to say... I fucked up and I got everybody killed. Yeah, she's just recording. And, and I mean, like, I mean, it's not her fault, but you know, she didn't know there was going to be a fucking Blair Witch out there. But I mean, it happened. Mm-hmm. So I mean, sometimes you know, the road road to hell is paved with good intentions. You know, she didn't necessarily mean for all this to happen, but it, it's a cathartic moment for her to get out. And she, once again, it's another great scene that she nails. You know, I think it's I think it's perfect. I really do. Because after this, we'll go right back in the heart, right? Because they're awoken by. Josh, or the sounds of Josh screaming in pain, right? They go into the woods at night looking for Josh. They find an old house. Yeah. They both have severed cameras at this point. Yeah, she's going to be, Heather has the high 8 camera, and Mike has the 16-millimeter black mm-hmm. one. So they're, they're running through the entire house. Yeah, they hear Josh in the house. They, they get separated. Heather, Heather wanders through the house alone at some point. And then she sees Mike. And what is Mike doing? Mike is standing in the corner motionless. Yeah. Just like the story. Just like the story the fisherman told earlier in, in the movie. And she just screams for him two or three times. And then we have no idea what happens. She's hit, possibly incapacitated. We don't hear anything. The camera falls down and we no longer hear any diegetic sound from the world. Yeah. It's just the the, the running of the film. That's all we hear. Yep. And that's it. The movie cuts to... It cuts to credits, cuts to black. And so ends the Blair Witch Project, which is still amazingly effective after all this time. Mm-hmm. I think that is probably the most amazing takeaway that I have from from this whole experience is that the movie still is a true, 
true narrative powerhouse, even today. I have a few uh, bits of trivia for you. Lay it on me, lay it on me. In a scene where the main actors are sleeping in a tent at night, the tent suddenly shakes violently. They all get scared. This was unscripted, and the director shook the tent. The actors were legit scared. That's great. Yeah, because you totally feel that. Yeah. You totally feel that, that they're just like, we've got to get the fuck out of here as fast as we can. While in the woods, the actors would stay in contact with the directors via walkie-talkies so they wouldn't get lost, obviously. They got lost at least three times during shooting. Makes sense. Well, I mean, that's why, you know, you spend a little bit of money (laughs) so you have at least some crew out there and somebody who knows the damn woods, at least. Yeah. I I hope there was one guy in that crew. a scout of some sort. Yeah, who knew those damn woods. a Native American. Yeah, who knew the really, really well. A lot of people know this fact, but I'm going to say it again. Heather Donahue's mom received sympathy cards from people who believed that her daughter was actually dead or missing. Yeah, I mean, that was the level of belief people had in this movie. That it was real. I mean, that that mm-hmm. was a very typical thing is that people believed 100% it was a real documentary. And and that's just a testament to it. It really is. It's a well-known fact because it drives home exactly what that fervor was like. This movie took eight days to shoot, but took eight months in editing. They edited the hell out of this movie. Well, I can imagine they probably had tons of footage yeah. that they had to go through. And then you're just trying to like form a, a narrative out of all of that. And that, that's what it does, you know, trying to piece the 16 together and everything like that, trying to re-record what you could. But either, either way, it came together for a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. It's a unique film and nothing's really like it. The actors were made to sign a release form so the producers could mess with their heads. They told them the legend of the Blair Witch was real. The townspeople they interviewed were all real testimony as well. More authenticity there. Yeah. Like I said, all, all, all their techniques re- really came together. You know, I, I think um, to me, one of the more interesting things is... The lack of movement that anybody in the cast and and the crew really really had from this point, the directors had obviously made a gigantic hit movie, and, and I think the best thing they were offered was The Exorcist Four, so they they never really got an opportunity to do like the kind of movie that they wanted to out of this. All three were required to stay in character throughout filming. If for some reason they needed to break character, they had to do it. They could do it, but they only after they said the safe word, which was taco. Taco. Do you want to know what happened to Heather Donahue? Yes, please tell me. Well, she was threatened by deranged fans, typecast by movie producers, and had trouble finding employment. So she quit fucking acting in 2008. And you know what she went on to do? Weed Farm. That's right. (laughs) I saw her book. (laughs) I did not read her book, but I've seen her book. And I remember like, hey, is that the Blair Witch Girl? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I did know that. She got an opportunity... To be in a couple of different movies, Boys and Girls with Jason Biggs and maybe another sex comedy. And and that was really about it. That's as far as she ever got. Nobody else in the cast really had a chance to do anything. Eduardo Sanchez and the other director, whose name I just forgot, sorry. They got to do a couple of movies. They did that Bigfoot movie like five or six years ago Mm -hmm. that we saw exist. But, I mean, guys who make a movie like that should have got big deals, you know. The guy who made Paranormal Activity, he got a chance to make bigger movies. And that just didn't happen here. Everyone just kind of said, oh, it's a fluke. Who cares about these guys? So that's why no, nobody really ever did anything except for a couple small little anomalies here and there. Fuck is said 154 times in this movie. I know the director Eduardo's least favorite one at one point. Oh, when they when they walk in a circle, I think it's Josh. He coughs out and goes, fuck you, God, like at the top of his lungs. And the director had <coughs> cough while his mother was sitting right next to him at the premiere during that line. I always find that such a cute story, but... It's an appropriate reaction for where they were. Last fact. Okay, lay it on. I promise. 
Stephen King's son showed him the Blair Witch Project while he was in the hospital. He made them turn it off because it was too scary. I love that little element about Stephen King. That Stephen King, while loving horror, is a mark for horror. Yeah. Like, I mean, he absolutely is 100% a mark for horror. And the the level of the other horror that he's given us over the years, like Evil Dead, is really just him being a horror fan and going out and finding something cool. So I, I think that's a, a really nice element to, to know about Stephen King and his love of this movie as well. You ready to get into Blair Witch 2016? <sighs> yeah. Yeah, I am. I... You didn't like this movie. I was excited in 2016 to see this movie, but I was less excited this time. And, well, we'll get into it. So in the year of our Lord 2016, we were given Wes Robinson as Lane, Valerie Curry as Talia, Corbin Reed as Ashley Benson, Ashley Bennett, pardon me, Brandon Scott as Peter, Callie Hernandez as Lisa Arlington, and James Allen McCoon as James Donahue. And that is Blair Witch 2016, directed by Adam Wingard, by the way. Yeah. Legend said there's been a curse on these woods. Do you believe in the story? So the most interesting thing about the marketing, I guess we should get that out of the way directly, is for a number of a number of months, this movie was marketed as the woods. Yes. It was not marketed as Blair Witch. I believe that was a reveal at Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. So at Comic-Con, they revealed that, ha, this movie, The Woods, is actually a Blair Witch sequel. And it didn't go over that well, oddly enough. I don't, I don't really know why, but it did not go over that well. I mean, I was initially like, oh, that's cool. They're making another Blair Witch movie. But a lot of people weren't as enthused about it. Huh. It never got the traction I think they expected it to get from, I think they thought their marketing campaign was brilliant. But this was a $5 million budget. This is a found footage movie. It isn't like Blair Witch 2 that is a, a regular film, I guess, a regular meta film. This is a found footage film. Made, uh, made for $5 million, made just over forty-five. Mm-hmm. So they made profit, but they were looking for a lot of profit. Yeah, I like the first movie. Yeah, they were looking for, they were looking for a $100 million movie. But I, I think they still should have been pretty happy with what they got. But the, that marketing campaign just didn't necessarily work out for them like they had planned. Yeah. All right, so we start this movie with footage from cameras found in the Black Hills. Yes, the found footage film begins with found footage. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, this is the character James is watching a YouTube video of what he believes is a found footage tape from, from the area. And he automatically says it could be Heather because that's his sister, mm-hmm. which is the reveal here. And the footage is just general shaky cam stuff. Yeah. Just 90s style, you know, DV cam, shaky cam. And this is what really begins our adventure as he is lucky enough to have a friend, girlfriend. I I don't, I don't think that Lisa is his girlfriend. I think that's just his friend. And this is another person who needs to make a documentary project. And so she's going to follow him into the woods. Yeah. The brother wants to James, the brother James wants to find his sister, Heather and the house she was last seen in. Yeah. He's been looking for years. Another cast member, Brandon Scott, he plays Peter. Peter is James' lifelong friend, so yeah. he can he has this distinction only for the sheer purpose of the story of letting us know, like, yeah, yeah, he does love his sister. But, I mean, that's the only reason that relationship is pretty long-lasting, right? Yeah. Just so he can give us a little bit more validation on what the, like, What losing his sister yeah, did. Yeah, what, what it did to him. And everything. He was only four years old. Yeah, so that's another interesting element of it. He you know, was his much older sister. 
So he didn't know her all that well. And like I said, it's almost like a myth to him at this point that he thinks she's still alive some 19 years later. 19 years, right? 99 to... I'm trying to remember. They said it in the movie, so... I can't remember. Basically go to meet the two that found the tapes. Yeah, they, they head down to that area and they, they meet with the... I forget. I just forgot what his username was. Oh. But uh, his name is uh, Lane and he has a girlfriend, Talia. And for a longer time, their friend name was like Black Ninja 499 or something like that. They didn't call him like God's ass hair or some weird screen name no. or something like that. It was something like that. Yeah, it was a very, very, very generic like Reddit uh, username. He's a super mark for the Blair Witch. Like yeah. once they get there, like he's automatically given off vibes that, you know, he's got a lot invested in this whole thing. Yeah, they go into the house and there's like a Confederate flag. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I did forget to mention, yes, that... His friend, uh, Peter, is black, and so there's a nice shot of him just staring at the Confederate flag like, well, great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, that's a fun sequence, and there's a, there's a nice little fun things like that. The two, Lane and Talia, they, they're the weirdos in this whole scenario. They basically blackmail them to get them, get, they want to go with them to the to, the, to see the Blair Witch. Yeah, they, they desperately want to accompany them into yeah. the woods because, well, the, their reason is basically the, the safety in numbers. But we don't know this at the time. We, don't, we, we find this out later. And then we get the story again of the guy who killed the kids and made one stand in the corner. Yeah, yeah. They give us a little recap here on the kind of lore that we might need for the from the earlier film. And there is qu- quite a bit of lore, by the way. It's not particularly important, but you you get to learn the the gist of it right here. Mm-hmm. I've I played a little bit more of the Blair Witch games and seen a little bit more, so I understand a little bit more of it. But it's not important at all. Lane and Talia lead them to the area where they found the tapes, and then that's this is where they're going across a creek mm-hmm. or a I guess it's I guess it's going to be a little bit of a river. Yeah, a stream. A stream. Yeah, they go across. Just argue about bodies of water. <laughs> Uh, and uh, Ashley cuts her foot. And this becomes a, a big deal because this movie introduces something brand new to the Blair Witch franchise, and that's a little bit of body horror. Mm-hmm. But she does cut her foot, and that's a big deal. She cuts it on the rocks as they get across. And she they, cuts it pretty good, too. Yeah, she really does. It's a good, solid cut. Like, I, I would be concerned if I had that kind of cut on my foot while I was at the, at the beginning of a camping trip. Yeah. One thing this movie has that the other one doesn't have is drone. Yeah, so with the passage of time, I think that's the kind of cool thing that actually is different. That was here. a good idea. Yeah, as they have a drone. So early on, they're able to take it up and kind of look around. And on the drone, you can see where there's a stream, where there is a road in the distance. So they do take the time to show it to you what it would look like in, in normal daytime. So that is a nice thing that they do have. And once they begin to set up, they find a nice place to set up camp for the night. And they go through all their gear and their stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they go to send up the drone one more time. And they can only see so far, you know, because the night's nightfall and everything like that. And there's a lot more of preparing all the cameras and stuff like that. Like, Why do you think the brother is only now interested in finding his sister? Well, he has a lead. I don't think he's had a lead for 20 or 15 years. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, to me, that's the only reason that this movie occurs is because it's the first time he's had any kind of lead from Burkittsville in that area since probably the movie came out. Or well, I don't, I, is there a movie in this version? I don't. I don't think so. They just find the tapes, right? It's, yeah, it's not like a movie you can yeah. see. They just find the tapes. Huh. Interesting. I wonder why there wouldn't be a movie. Yeah, I was like, well, would there be a movie? Because they still find the tapes in that continuity, right? That's the whole point of the first yeah. movie. Yeah. 
So there would be like a faux meta movie. Yeah, would would somebody see those tapes? Have we seen those tapes? Are we the tapes? Am I in the tape? <laughs> Am I the Blair Witch? <laughs> so no, these are just questions we have. Let's talk about. Let, let's go back to those interesting ideas and talk about this movie some more. The weirdos tell a creepy story about the witch, and then James hears some noises of sticks breaking. Yeah, yeah. So he has to step a little bit further out, right? Yeah, he she Lisa hears it too and joins him in the tent. Yeah, I do like everybody else is kind of like, no, nah, I mean, you can go check that out. It's fine. Yeah. And so they they leave them uh they leave the group to kind of just check what's out there. And I guess uh Talia comes up and says, "We I can't find Lane." Yeah, Lane's Lane, gone off to pee. Lane's a shy off. pooper. Really far. Yeah, so he he went out there. It's not shady in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. He went way out there, and he only jumps back up a couple minutes later to jump scare James, right? I I don't think he actually... I think he did legit get a little lost. Possibly, but I mean, he does show up in a jump scare. But he, he shows up, and he they end up finding some twine in his... Yeah, yeah. So they... We, we jumped a little bit here. When he does come back and everything like that... They they settle down and then that's when they find. Yeah, they they wake up the next morning and they find the stick figures hanging from the trees outside there. So the, the reason I wanted to mention this scene because the most interesting part of it is yes, the stick figures are there, so they're they're doomed by what we think is Blair Witch logic. But they wake up at two p.m. in the afternoon. Yeah, an incredibly strange thing to do. Mm-hmm. And they sort of gloss over that, but like they gloss over because they just kind of can't deal with it and everything like that. They see the sticks; they've got to get out of there. And when they're on their way back. That is when Lisa notices the twine in the back of yeah. Lane's bag. Yeah, sorry, I jumped ahead. Yeah, no, I just wanted to mention that one thing is that we are getting introduced to the concept that this movie's about, and that's the Blair Witch c- can control time and space in some way, shape, or form. So they discover Talia and Lane have been faking the stick figures. They don't know where they are going at all. Group group makes them walk They're off. Frauds, yeah. Yeah. Frauds. They, the whole group just basically votes them off the island and, yeah, and they, they end up walking in the opposite direction. Yeah, they, they go the opposite way. And basically this begins the terror for everybody because at this point everyone is lost. But as we come to find out, Talia and Lane are much more lost. Yeah. So our so we at this point no longer deal with Talia and Lane. We are stuck with our core protagonists of James, Lisa, Peter, and Ashley. Yes. We follow them as they walk through and have a very similar incident in the first movie as they can't find their way out. No, and Ashley's foot's really bad. Yeah, yeah. So it limits how far they're going to be able to travel. And then they go, They like the first movie, they end up back where they started. They go in a circle, so they have to set up camp in the same place again. Yeah. Peter looks at her foot, and it looks pretty gross and bloody. Yeah. And it, And there's something moving in it. Yeah, something kind of twitches out of the foot at him. And he's just like, okay, I'm yeah. going to... I love this because he, he calls in James, who is a nurse, by the way, mm-hmm. who would be able to look at it. But because of everything that's going on, he never actually gets a chance to ever look at her foot, does he? No. He never does. Because at this same time, Lisa is taking the drone up and the sun isn't quite down yet, but she cannot find the road. She cannot find the stream. All she can see are the woods, just a canopy of the forest. And that's it. Then eventually Peter goes off and hears noises and then gets crushed by a tree. Yeah, these get sent out to go find some firewood while they deal with everything else that's happening yeah. in the camp. And while he's out getting the firewood, like I said, he does investigate those noises and gets crushed. James goes looking for him, and he discovers Talia and Lane. Yeah, because he, fi- he hears the tree fall. Yeah. And then he goes looking for Peter. 
Well, eventually James goes back to camp because he just can't find him. Yeah, and that's when he does run into Talia and, and Lane. Yeah. And according to them, they have not seen them in five days, even though it's only been an afternoon for everybody else. Yeah. Lane refuses to stay, but Talia does. Yeah, Talia is hungry, as could possibly be, so she takes any food from them and shelter they might have. Yeah. So they wake up in the next morning, and it's still dark out. And they yeah, find the sun stick never figures rises. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, and the, like you said, they see the stick figures everywhere when, when they get up. And sadly for oh, the situation here, Ashley comes out, and she is terrified. Her foot is still in terrible condition. She has a fever. She's sweating, clearly. She sees Talia. She sees Talia, and she is enraged. She's like, she had to do all these stick figures. And at the same time, Talia is looking around and finds that these stick men are different. They're not built with twine or rope. They're built with human hair. And she finds one that's just like hers. And so Ashley grabs it and says, I'm not buying any of this bullshit anymore, and snaps the stick man like a twig. And immediately, Talia is snapped in half, too. Mm-hmm. And probably what is the movie's best scare. Yeah. It is, uh, I mean, it shocked the hell out of me in the theater. It it really did. And it it, it sends everybody running. <laughs> yeah. So that scene is pretty metal of uh of her getting broken in half. Yeah, it is. It's pretty metal. I love that. Yeah, it, 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 it incredibly is. I mean, just that sound that she makes, the soundtrack hits, it's all really perfect. And then they end up getting separated. Yeah, because that scared the shit out of everybody. It's a legitimate reason. James and Lisa find each other. Ashley gets separated. But she finds the... She checks her foot and she finds... She tries to pull out what looks like a plant out of her foot. Yeah, there's some sort of body horror in this. And yeah. yeah. She pulls out almost like the it's ruins. supposed to be a root, I think. Yeah, she pulls that out of her foot in a lot of pain. And I mean, I think it's a pretty cool scene. I, it's a little bit different for the series, but I think it works in this movie. It doesn't bother me at all. Ashley pulls something from her leg wound. There's some debate amongst fans as to what that could be. It has been confirmed as a root. The effect was done practically without any CGI. Oh, very cool. It looked great. Yeah. Yeah, look, that's why. It looked great. James and Lisa end up in a wind tunnel. At least that's what I wrote. They kind of like do the spinning shot where they're spinning around. Yes. Yeah, so they can't hear each other and the camera is swirling around them, basically. Then we go back to Ashley. She spots the drone in a tree. Yeah. can't quite reach it. Then a hand comes from somewhere, or an arm. Yeah. And she ends up falling out of the tree. Which I think is a solid way for her to go. Yeah, and then she's basically taken away off camera. Yeah. James and Lisa hear her scream and find the house. So, yeah, they they see it in the house. And I don't think it's supposed to be the house from the end of the first movie. I don't think so, but I think... It it is a different layout and everything like that, so... But it's... yeah. Well, actually, no, it is because Heather's supposed to be there, right? Because he well, hears Heather. They, they, he just assumes he hears Heather. Yeah, but then he would assume that's the same house. Yeah, but he hasn't been to that house. He hasn't seen the movie. There is no movie. But he has to assume that it's the original house. I guess so. But to me, I always thought it was different because it doesn't have a similar layout. Obviously, I mean, I guess they could go and build it. It's a $5 million movie. Still has the handprints. Yeah, but I think the handprints are just a general Blair Witch thing. Mm. Well, we'll agree to disagree yeah. on this topic. Yeah, we'll yeah. just have to. Yeah, because this doesn't matter. it is inconsequential to this debate (laughs) okay but yeah so they get to the house and then some real shenanigans cook up james goes inside because he has to he He like you said he hears heather's in there yeah lisa is smart and being like i'm not going to go in the fucking creepy house in the middle of the night so james goes in there and goes through basically like general 
found footage House of Horror sort of bits. Yeah, he thinks he sees Heather. There's a jump scare. Yeah. Uh, Lisa sees a figure outside. Which is actually kind of creepy. I like that. And is forced inside. Yeah, she makes a smart call. Mm-hmm. Yes, all right, fuck it. I'm fine. I'll go inside. Yeah. Like, that's, that's basically her reaction. All right. She goes into the basement and finds Lane, who locks her in a hole in the ground. Lane, who looks like he's been around for like a um, couple of months, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like he... His facial hair is overgrown completely. So yeah, it really does look like it's been months. What has he been surviving on? Yeah, yeah. I like that element of it. The movie goes very deep into the the time element of the Blair Witch, how she mm-hmm. can control any element of that. You know, never make the sun rise. Then we get a scene that I really like where Lisa crawls through a drainage pipe. Yeah, yeah. Her, her attempt to escape. And I, I think this is a really tense sequence and she gets stuck for a little bit and has to kind of wiggle her, her way through. It is kind of a harrowing scene. I like it. The tunnel Lisa crawls through is 50 feet long and featured tight spots crafted to the actress's shoulder width, giving it an extremely claustrophobic feel. One camera operator had a panic attack and had to be replaced. When she got stuck, she had two people in there with her. One was holding her legs to, and the other was filming. You know, I, I'm not surprised at all in that about the panic attack, because that's what I thought when I was watching that whole sequence play out. Yeah. I was like, man, that's tight. I said, I hope that actress did not have claustrophobia, because, man, that would really, really mess with her. But, I mean, she held strong. She really did. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's the the impressive thing about it. But, I, I mean, no shame in that. Like, that's that's an incredibly harrowing experience, if you think about it. With the water and stuff, that's rough. Yeah, and she eventually crawls through there, and she sees James. And they hide from whatever's chasing them. Yeah, yeah. So we get a nice sequence. They hide in the corner. Yeah, where we go back into the lore here, and they can't look at her. And so, uh, I almost said Heather, <laughs> wrong person. Uh, James and Lisa, they're, they're trying to talk back and forth, trying to say, keep looking in the, in the corner, keep looking in the corner. And James begins talking to somebody that Lisa can't hear. And she even asks him, who are you talking to? Mm-hmm. And she glances over at him, and he turns back, and he's immediately whoosh, whooshed out, Mm -hmm. taken away, which scares her. And then she gets the idea to lift her camera up and look behind her with the camera so she can try to get out of there. And she can occasionally see like little glimpses of the creature as it comes around, but you can't quite make anything out. At one point during the climax, you can briefly see a creature with long arms and legs. Many viewers assume this is the Blair Witch, but the screenwriter has stated Creatures and specters seen in this film are past victims, with the long-limbed creature being Heather. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. Well, that's interesting, I guess. Well, that's unfortunate for Heather. That didn't turn out so well. No. So, yeah, Lisa attempts to try to make her way back out. It d- and it doesn't end well. Yeah, she hears James's voice. She turns around and whoosh, she is whooshed and sucked into it. And did we talk about the fact that she made the tape from the beginning? Yeah. Did we skipped that. Okay. Yeah, so we... That it comes to an end, and I, I guess somebody in the time loop has to go and set the tapes up so this whole adventure can occur in the past. So the movie does a little bit of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff at the end. Yeah, it sure does. I Listen, my, my issue with it is is if you don't believe that there was a Blair Witch in the first movie, because it's open to interpretation, this movie fully confirms that there is like a supernatural entity out there, and it's going to get you, right? Like This movie confirms everything. If you're one of those people who believe that Josh and Mike sent it, set up Heather so they could kill her. That theory is completely debunked by the second movie. Mm-hmm. Right. I honestly don't have a problem with it, but I think at the end of the day, it's just an okay found footage movie. It's a, it's above average. And that's about the best I can really say about it. It's not particularly yeah. memorable in any way. It's not like the Blair witch. Cause it feels like every other found footage movie ever made. So that's a downside to it. 
but you had to go found footage because they tried the other way once and that didn't work out so well. To me, this movie doesn't feel as found footage as the original does. No, because it's too clean. Yeah, it's lost a lot of the authenticity that the first movie had. Even with the video camera put into it, Mm -hmm. which I know they did to kind of emulate that feel a little bit. I like the drone. That was a good idea. I agree. But, all right, so Blair Witch Project got a 3.2 user review, 86% on Rotten Tomatoes, 6.5 out of 10 on IMDb. Blair Witch 2016 got a 2.8 user review, 3% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 5 out of 10 on IMDb. Actually, Blair Witch is a little better than I thought it might. Not bad. I chose a one-star review for the Blair Witch Project because it is such a good movie. If you thought that Star Wars Episode One was the most overhyped letdown of the year, get ready. And by the way, this review was from 1999, so it's when it came out. Oh, okay, so there's some nostalgia on this thing. Mm-hmm. The Blair Witch Project is so shockingly bad, it could have been made by your, your ninth grade brother's friends on their first camping trip this summer. Shot primarily with poor quality video, which appears to predate Steady Shot, Blair Witch should have had a hard time getting into student film and video festivals based on the poor visual and sound quality alone. Instead, it has won prizes and accolades at both Cannes and Film and Sundance and has become the new indie darling of the film critics most everywhere. But Blair Witch is far scarier than many of the critics have even begun to hint at. It's basically 80 minutes of watching amateurs stuck in flat woods running in circles with no concept or shot composition. No script, no performance talent, and absolutely no idea what the hell they are doing. This is the movie that puts the horror in horrible. Blair Witch is supposed to be about the making of a documentary. Is this supposed to represent a documentary film crew? A girl who is a complete bitch and who dweebs and two dweebs who act like whiny versions of Beavis and Butthead? <laughs> the interminable fits of yelling and screaming will have you bored stiff. Do stick figures made of wood and sounds of nearby filmmakers making funny noises in the woods give you the creeps? If so, you might actually find this frightening. Well, as audiences everywhere are finding out, as Cinema Score is indicating, The Blair Witch Project is not a good film, and certainly not what they were told it would be. Shame on critics making comparisons to horror classics like The Exorcist and The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Those were bold masterpieces of terror in which the scripts were solid before production began. Geez, even I still know what you did last summer was scarier than Blair Witch. If Jennifer Love's breasts get any bigger. Any adult can do what the makers of Blair Witch have done. Just look at the worst home videos your neighbor Larry has in his collection. But Larry knows how to use that tripod his wife bought him for Christmas. To quote Bart Simpson from the great Halloween episode with Pose the Raven, do you know what would have been scarier than nothing? Anything. <laughs> uh, it's a good quote. And it's a good review, actually. I, I do like that review. And this that was a really popular sentiment at the time to... The backlash against the film was quite strong once it made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's a part of it. And, and listen, like I said, if, if you didn't enjoy this, if you can't appreciate what I might call amateurish and raw, you would just call amateurish and shit, then, I mean, it is what it is. You know, you, you're you not going to be able to buy the core concept of this movie. And it's not for you. Yeah. This guy just really hated this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, that that's fair. I mean, this, like I said, found footage isn't for everybody. It's just not. Okay, so here is a 10-star review oh. of our of the Blair Witch. Blair Witch took the right approach as follow-up to the original Blair Witch Project. 
It continues the story as Heather's younger brother, who has, was four at the time of his sister's disappearance, sets out with a larger search party to find some answers. You don't need to see have seen the first film to enjoy this one, though. All the backstory is summed up in the first few minutes. As a standalone movie, Blair Witch is superior to most mainstream horror being released today, and as a sequel, it carries the torch well, offering fans new insight into the hauntings in the Black Hills. Intriguing elements open up more discussion where the witch is real, imagined, or something altogether different. The film even touches on a weird-minded, mind-bending alternate I was not expecting. Like the original, nothing is blatantly explained, but left to audience to interpret. We had a fun and lively discussion after the movie, tossing about various theories. Cons. Blair Witch didn't build a sense of dread the way the original did. With its interviews of local townsfolk, after introducing the cast, this story gets us right to the woods. Plus, with a larger cast this time, it was harder to identify with the characters. Overall, this is an outstanding film to get your heart racing. The last half hour is intense, scary, and should have you on the edge of your seat. It was a lot of fun. He did point out something that, that I like about building tension is the, the Blair Witch a 2016 is not a movie about getting lost in the woods. It really isn't. It's about creepy shit. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that really limits it and hampers it and doesn't make it feel like the other movie is that it, it's just missing that element. And I, and I think that's a, a, a real interesting takeaway and a different sort of change. They leaned heavily into that lore. So if you like that, you know, if you're really into the lore, then you probably had a great time. But if you were looking for something like that first movie – the movie could have been a, a pretty big disappointment for you. Yeah. But I mean, be that as it may, like I said, I, I still think it's a decent movie. It's a, a very, very light recommend, if anything. Yeah, it's mm, all right. Very light recommend. It's better than the movies we saw last week. Very much so. This was a nice step up from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre late reboots. <laughs> I hated last week. Yeah, last week really stunk. So, Meredith, what are your socials? I don't fucking have any. It's not time for socials just yet. It's time to hear from the greatest film critic who ever lived. And of course, he did review this movie. Let me let me ask you, 1999. This is prime Roger Ebert. Do you think he liked the Blair Witch Project? Yes. I think you're right. He gave it. He gave it two stars. Roger Ebert gave this film four stars. Ooh. Ooh. Roger Ebert says, "We're instinctively afraid of natural things: snakes, barking dogs, the dark." but have to be taught to fear walking into traffic or touching an electrical wire. Horror films that tap into our hard-wired instinctive fears probe a deeper place than movies with more sophisticated threats. A villain is only an actor, but a shark is more than a shark. The Blair Witch Project, an extraordinarily effective horror film, knows this and uses it. It has no fancy special effects or digital monsters, but its characters get lost in the woods, hear noises at night, and find disturbing stick figures hanging from trees. One of them discovers slime on his backpack because their imaginations have been flamed by the talk of witches, hermits, child murders in the forest because their food is running out and their smokes are gone. They and we are a lot more scared than if we were merely being chased by some guy in a ski mask. The movie is a celebration of rock bottom production value of how it doesn't take bells and whistles to scare us. It's presented in a form of a documentary. We learn from the opening titles that in 1994, Three young filmmakers went into a wooded area in search of a legendary witch. A year later, their footage was found. The film's style and even its production strategy enhanced the illusion that it's a real documentary. The characters have the same names as the actors. All of the footage in the film was shot by two cameras, a color video camcorder operated by the director, Heather, and a 16mm black and white camera 
operated by the cameraman, Josh. Mike does the sound. All three carry backpacks and are prepared for two or three nights of sleeping in the woods in tents. It doesn't quite work out that way. The buried structure of the film, which was written and directed by Eduardo Sanchez and Daniel Merrick, is insidious in the way it introduces information without seeming to. Heather and her crew arrive in a small town of Burkittsville, formerly Blair, and interview locals. Many have vaguely heard of the Blair Witch and other ominous legends. One says, I think I saw a documentary on the Discovery Channel or something. We hear the children have been killed in the woods, that bodies have disappeared, and strange things have happened at Coffin Rock. But the movie wisely doesn't present this information as if it can be trusted. It's gossip, legend, and lore passed along half-jokingly by locals. And Heather and Josh and Mike view it as good footage, not a warning. Once they get into the woods, the situation gradually turns ominous. They walk in circles. Something happens to the map. Nature itself begins to seem oppressive and dead. They find ominous signs, bundles of twigs, unsettling stick figures. These crude objects are scarier than more elaborate effects. They look like they were created by a being who haunts the woods, not by someone playing a practical joke. Much has been said about the realistic cinematography, how every shot looks like it was taken by a handheld camera in the woods, because it was. But the visuals are not just a technique. By shooting in a chill season, by dampening the color palette, the movie makes the woods look unfriendly and desolate. Nature is seen as a hiding place for dread secrets. As fear and desperation grow, the personalities of the characters emerge. We agreed to a scouted out project, one guy complains. The other says, Heather, this is so not cool. Heather keeps up an optimistic front. The woods are not large enough to get lost in, she argues. Because this is America, we've destroyed most of our national resources. Eventually, her brave attitude disintegrates into a remarkable shot in which she films her own apology. I was reminded of explorer Robert Scott's notebook entries as he froze to death in Antarctica. At a time when digital techniques can show us almost anything, the Blair Witch Project is a reminder that what really scares us is the stuff we can't see. The noise in the dark is almost always scarier than what makes the noise in the dark. Any kid can tell you that. Not that he believes it at the time. That was a hell of a review. Oh yeah, it was. Yeah, Roger Ebert put it uh, really well about how much he loved that movie and how great it is. He's a beautiful writer. Yeah, he absolutely is. It's it's a fantastic review. And like I said, we we don't have a high enough recommend for The Blair Witch Project. We really don't. Go check it out in any way you can if you haven't seen it. And go watch it again one more time. You'll enjoy the hell out of it. Yeah. Yeah. So with that being said, now we can finally talk about our socials. Meredith, you have none. No. But the show has a few. You can uh, email us at grittyrebootcast at gmail.com. That is a very simple way to get a hold of us. And you can also look for us at Gritty Reboot at Instagram and at TikTok as well. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of us. And I will definitely respond to that pretty quickly as I tend to check that most every day. Oh, yeah. So that being said, we are out. Uh, This is the one episode here. We're not going to do a follow up. We're just going to go to a different movie after this. No more uh, features or retrospectives or anything like that for a little bit. Yeah. So with that being said, guys, have a good one. Howdy, howdy, bye. Did you did you botch your goodbye? You're like, howdy, howdy, bye. What? I said, howdy, howdy, bye. Oh, howdy, howdy, bye. <laughs>